Only poses die, you fucking idiot! I went against my better judgment, and I took your advice on something. <laughs> oh, don't qualify it, you prick. <laughs> I ate at a restaurant that you recommended that I could actually eat at. I Ooh. ate at Aria. Woo! I have thoughts. Okay, here we go. Is this where the show ends? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, at first I, I texted you, like, afterwards just to fuck with you because <laughs> – uh, I texted you that I, I, it was not worth paying $19 for a bowl of wet bread. I was very angry. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> this motherfucker. <laughs> it was so good. I will, I will say this, though. If if I ate meat, that place would probably be delicious. And it wasn't bad for being vegetarian. The thing that I had was I had like this kind of like rolled up like eggplant appetizer. Mm-hmm. It was pretty tasty. Pretty, pretty, pretty tasty. Right. Um, I had a the fettuccine, the mushroom oil, the mushroom fettuccine type of thing, which was which came highly recommended. Mm. Uh it was fine. Um, like, oh, and it was not. Okay. It was it was fi- it was fine because yeah. it was just kind of like not what I was expecting. I guess yeah, we got Tom Colicchio over here shitting on everybody's dishes. God damn it. I mean, I couldn't prepare it. Like, if you told me, you'd be like, hey, Shane, make this dish, I'd be like, are you fucking serious? Isn't there truffle oil in it or something? It's like... Kinda, I don't know. There's mushrooms. There's fucking mushrooms and onions in it and shit. And I guess there's like... It's made with like... Sign. Yeah, it's like whatever. Um, But, <laughs> like, the best thing was the, the bread that comes out to the table. The bread is amazing. And the roasted garlic butter that comes along with it. Yeah, Delicious. of course. But I mean, the entree is the it's the main attraction. It's it's the it's that's well, the three ring circus in your mouth. What I mean, what did you got? You got so you got fettuccine with mushrooms. Yeah. So but that's what I'm saying. It's like so for me, there was not this like groundbreaking thing like and, because and, you've and, limited I, yourself. Will you let me finish? <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who's not watching the video, Shane literally just bit his finger. <laughs> Can I finish? <laughs> yes. So so I will say, I understand why you like it. I understand why it's good. I wasn't saying that it wasn't good. I also realized over the last year that I don't give a fuck about noodles. Like, <laughs> I don't care about pasta. Like, I, I, pasta, Fair. spaghetti, it's bullshit. Like, it is, like, it's such a waste of food. Like, if I want something that's, like, going to be empty carbs, if I want something that's going to be like that, give me rice. I'll eat rice over pasta every single day. Because at least I can put stuff on rice that's meaningful. All I can put on pasta is sauce. And well... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm no. I'm that's. I mean, that's really that's really kind of my thought. It's like I think I've just discovered that I don't like pasta. Well, personally, I I can agree with you on there. Getting just like you know fettuccine or getting. A, I mean, God, God help us. Just someone gets spaghetti and marinara when they go out. Um, not it's not really anything to look forward to. It's not a big deal. It's more of like something that 
I don't know, you might get when you're younger, but there, there are other things like Italian foods primarily, it's a lot of seafood. It's a lot of meat. Yes, there's pasta, but it's not, it's not like, like here where we do the fucking never ending pasta trough at the, at the Olive Garden. I mean, it's, it's different and you can get a lot of other things with your pasta. They're different dishes. So like, like when you get the, uh, the fruit, the fruit of the body, you, you get all the seafood and the scallops and stuff in it. That was pretty good. And I, yeah. I don't know. Well, you got, you, I, you, when I go there, I get something meat based. I get and then we get sure. salad and we get, you know, the veal is and so many little calves were tortured for it. But I love it. So, well, so I'll say this. Like, so uh, I appreciated the atmosphere. I appreciated mm-hmm. the meal itself. There was like an older gentleman sitting next to us that was very, very, very loud, um, partially <laughs> because he didn't have like he, you could tell that he had like a hearing impairment. But like he was with his friend from Bike Week, who was also very old and very loud. And he kept like the guy was like, we got to go. And the one guy that was deaf was going, chill, baby, chill, <laughs> chill, baby. C-H-I-L-L, chill, baby. And um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he totally did. And then <laughs> but then like then he was complaining that his salad hadn't come out and you could hear him complaining because he was like didn't have the volume adjusted on his hearing aid. Yeah. But. The best part was that the ser- the server was talking to him, and he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she walks away, and out loud he goes, I have no idea what she said. I couldn't hear a damn thing she said. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're basically, I mean, so, they're like, riding around on rah, 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 all day. I mean, of course their hearing's going to be yeah. fucked up. You know, and speaking of bike yeah. week, god damn it. Is it still is this still happening, or is it done? No, it's uh, it was done on Sunday. Yeah. Fuck. I'll say it. I said it once, and I'll say it again. <laughs> legalize gambling get this fucking childishness out of here race week bike week you put some fucking casinos up you watch how much money and how many jobs that brings in fuck all this fucking bullshit tired of it yeah i i can't stand bike week it's it's it, it was it was awesome when i was a bartender it's terrible as like a normal adult i'll say this for the bikers they tip better than the race fans the race fans just shit up your That's bathroom true. and run out yeah, that's true. I mean, you we used to work at Barnes & Noble, and they would do that. Like, my favorite – still my favorite story from race week where, during bike week was that guy that came in and asked for a beer. <laughs> what y'all mean? You ain't got Budweiser? What, what kind of bookstore don't sell no brewskis? <laughs> and then he walked out. I just – I – I wanted to just get a knife during race week and just just cut my way through a whole uh, just a clot of them. Yeah, and now in that building that we had that memory in together is now going to be a Wawa. So, well, you know, I don't mind Wawa because they tore it down. Good sandwiches. Yeah, they're fine. Okay, okay, Shane. <laughs> All right. Well, hi everybody, and welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It. I'm Mikey. I'm Shane. Okay, Shane. <laughs> Can I? Do, I'm just gonna do that to undermine everything you say now. <laughs> All right. <Jim. laughs> well, we have a have a, a a very exciting episode for you today. It's been very exciting for both of us. <laughs> the planning of it, the lead up to it. We're diving deep into m- motherfucking Pantera. Hell yeah! God damn it! I'm so fucking stoked about this, and and I. When we brought up this this idea, we were like, you know, we've covered bands that we both really enjoy, but I feel like this band is is one of those bands that like, it, it it's one of those things we that we like yell ironically at like, or we do stupid shit. We're like, yeah, but then it's like kind of like actually, <laughs> we're really into that. Like, I will scream hell yeah. I mean, that's one of their bands. So there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I won't go see that band because <laughs> I, I, you know, well, I, 
I appreciate Pantera, but I kind well besides that. Um, but also, I you know I was only a fan of Mudvayne for a brief period of time, and hell yeah to Mudvayne. Just I couldn't make that leap. Oh yeah, there's that connection, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There is. Mm. We'll talk about that. I'm sure. Well. We are just so stoked to get into it that we don't have a right profile. We don't have a forgotten freshness. We don't have an explain this band. We don't got shit. We're just talking about Pantera. And I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't bring them up enough. But god damn. I mean, one. I would say probably a top 10 favorite band of mine. And I am suspect of anyone who doesn't like Pantera and says they like heavy music. I, I just I don't I don't Dude. get it. It doesn't compute for me. Dude, this band fucking rips. And, uh, you know, it was it was a band that, like, for – I remember when I was in, like, high school um, and getting um, uh, the Live 101 record. Yeah. Uh, or 101 Proof or whatever it's called and being like, hell yeah. Why didn't I listen to this band before? And then when we were in a game of you, we almost covered this love. That's, dude, that's a good one. That's, and, and the good thing about 101 Proof is probably the best live record I've ever heard. I guess like metal live record. I don't really listen to live records, but you know, you you get to hear some of the banter, and you know, the crowd is fucking insane. And there's two mm-hmm. really great uh, studio B sides uh, at the end of it, so you get uh-huh. a nice bonus. So I was thinking before we jump in. Pantera, as you'll soon find out, Pantera, if you don't already know, they basically were drunk for their entire career. The entire, like, 22 years they were a fucking band. I mean, yep, not just drunk, true. but shithoused, soused, completely fucking out of their minds. So, being that their drink of choice was Jack Daniels, I, I didn't have any Jack, but I did have some nice sipping bourbon. I thought uh-huh. in, in honor of the greatest, what I think is the greatest metal band of all time, in honor of our fallen brothers, Vinny, I just splashed some on me, Vinny and Dime, I thought I'd have a drink. What about you, Shane? What are you going to have? I have weed. <laughs> <laughs> so because I, because I am um, an idiot and I only have a medical marijuana prescription, I didn't buy it illegally. Um, that's as far, that's as rebel as I'm going to get today. So I've got my, uh, my vape pen. So, you know, the least metal thing I could have. I'm, I'm pretty rebel right now as I spilled a little bit of whiskey on myself. So now I smell like booze. So I say we Mm -hmm. cheers it and then we dive in. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Tastes like a two by four. Mm. (laughs) And this, uh, <laughs> this uh, tastes like uh, Silver Haze, baby. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, all right. Dude, I actually, you know, it took me a long time, but when uh, I did develop a taste for whiskey. I did. Bourbon, I, 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 I like it. It's not that bad. I mean, it burns. It tastes like shit, but I kind of like it. I don't know why. You know, I, I've learned that I like uh, I, I like Irish whiskey. So, like, Tullamore Dew is the one that I like to drink, and I could drink a lot of that. I usually have bullet in the house. This is Jefferson's. I pro I mean I should have got a bottle of Jack. Just I mean I'll get maybe I'll get a bottle of Jack for next week. Not that I'm gonna yeah, drink. Yeah, me the whole too, thing. baby. It takes me like a month to go through a bottle. But anyway, yeah. that's not Pantera of me. That's not metal. I should just fucking douse the whole thing right now. And set yeah, myself light yourself on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do it! So without further ado, it's time to get into the only metal band that mattered. In 
In the world of mainstream heavy metal, there's a group of bands referred to as the Big Four, and that consists of Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, and show favorites, Megadeth. <laughs> yeah, the best. Sometimes Testament, Exodus get thrown in there as well. Decent bands, uh, but generally it's just the four. The reason I think no one ever includes the vastly superior Morbid Visions era Sepultura on the list is because they're from Brazil and the rest of the big four are from America. And I thought this was America. So (laughs) basically, these four bands, these are the big four of thrash, which was the big, the the most popular and and mainstream acceptable form of metal in the 80s. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for sure. So. So basically, these guys are the big four of thrash, even though none of them have really played thrash since the 80s. And Megadeth isn't even really a band, more like an organized group of thumb people falling on their instruments. And just to be clear, Slayer arguably hasn't dropped a good one since Seasons of the Abyss in 1990. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I mean, God Hates Us All is fun. It's fun, but I mean, it's no Rain and Blood. It's no Seasons no. of the Abyss. <clears throat> it's not a classic. It's no South of Heaven. Right. I agree. And, no, no, you're fine. So I, I, I agree to that assessment. Well, and, and we've aired our grievances about Metallica on here numerous times. A couple classic records. I think some good rock records. I think we had some common ground there. Black album, whatnot. But now, yeah, yeah. they sound like a ball-peen hammer hitting the side of an aluminum shit. Now, Anthrax basically had one good record, in my opinion, Among the Living in 87, which Leeway did about a thousand times better the following year on Born to Expire. But still, <laughs> right. there's this gravitas that hangs over the big four we can at least say these four bands if they're not some of our favorites are some of the most popular names in mainstream metal right right yeah yeah absolutely i mean when 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 like a a template for metal comes up those are the bands that people reference oh yeah so the question sometimes comes up why isn't pantera ever listed among the big four Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a simple answer. If you put Pantera into the big four, what you're going to be left with is Pantera and the other four. <laughs> now, I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but my overarching thesis for this deep dive, whether it takes us two episodes or three, probably three, is that in the world of mainstream metal, see, I emphasize that word, Pantera is the be-all, end-all I think they're the greatest heavy metal band to have ever done it on the big stage. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I would argue that Corn would be better, but you know, we've got our differences <laughs> of opinion. No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I would say, I would say, as far as accessible metal goes, then yeah. Like, I mean, because I, I don't think that like as good as Behemoth is, that hmm. people would be like, oh hell yeah, I love Behemoth. Like, like I can't wait to hear them. I can't wait to see them at like uh, Earth Day birthday at JRR in Orlando. You know, some bullshit like that. Pantera was the band that was like that was like if you if you want to like they would lead you across the river sticks to the hell that is metal. Like <laughs> yes, the yes, other bands very... were too afraid. They were too they were too afraid to even step foot in that cavern. Yeah, very well put. Uh, now. Like as you just brought up, I keep the worlds of mainstream and underground metal separate. I don't think you can compare Pantera to something that's more niche, like Behemoth, like you said, or Bathory, or Neurosis, mm-hmm. or uh, Misery Index, or, or even like Tampa Death Metal or Carnivore. I, I'm I'm right. be- they're two different worlds. Okay, yes, they to an uninitiated ear, they sound similar in many respects, but right. They're not the same world, so the comparison doesn't hold true across all metal bands. I'm talking mainstream metal. 
Um, right. I, what I what I can definitely say is that despite Pantera's high profile and mainstream success, I think their influence is far and ever reaching, even into the underground uh, of metal and hardcore. Even if you can't compare them, I mean, the Pantera's DNA, it's all over the fucking place. So yeah, just ask Throwdown. Uh, yeah. So first <laughs> off. <laughs> As you said, they're a gateway band. They'll take you across the river sticks. And I think that they were a band that was far more badass than even Slayer was back in the day, even though they were influenced by Slayer and Slayer were like the big four bad boys. Pantera was heavy as fuck and they made everyone else except for death metal bands and 90 Sepultura sound like a fucking peanut. So <laughs> to piggyback, secondly, they're a gateway band, but they're a gateway band that remained cool. Okay. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I guess my evidence is anecdotal. I guess I'm basing this on my own experience, but maybe you discovered Pantera and you kept digging, but you never forgot about him the way you forgot about Anthrax. Maybe you found Tampa right. Death Metal, Melodic Death Metal, Grindcore, Sludge, Metallic Hardcore, whatever you, you, you found. But no matter how far you strayed from those cowboys from hell, you never turned your back <sighs> on them. Yeah, that's fair. Have you ever heard anyone who is into heavy music say, I don't like Pantera. No, because usually usually they were kicked out of that group if they were, or they were drowned. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I, I really, it's funny because until you said that, I can't think of anybody that was like, no, I like, I like these other bands. Like, I, I would, I would hate somebody that liked Anthrax and didn't like Pantera. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I just, I, I can't wrap my head around it because I, I think Pantera's DNA is in almost everything that came after them. Uh, to yeah. me, it's like saying I like punk, but I don't give a shit about the Ramones, the Clash, Black Flag, No Effects, Bad Religion. It, I just think it's wrong. <laughs> like it's a wrong opinion. And, and right, and, just, and you're wrong for having it. Yeah, yeah. And, and just so all my bases are covered, let's just say for argument's sake that you know now you're into like neo crust or blackened thrash, or you're into occult doom dirges, and you turn you turn your nose up at Pantera because they were too mainstream or too popular or whatever. I've never suffered a self-righteous music critic gladly, and I will not start now. Here (laughs) is what I will say to the naysayers before we really begin. You are so full of shit that you become used to the smell of your own farts. You need to take your Burzum test presses back to your medieval dungeon basement in your mom's house and wait for her to cook your dinner because your life is a diarrhea vacuum of absolute nothingness. Walk on home, boy. <laughs> Which is the best, one of the best lines of any Pantera song, and it's very applicable to everyday life. If you're having a conflict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I was supposed to say, imagine getting into a fight with somebody and be like, walk on home, boy. I mean, I'd probably get my face smashed, but Phil, Phil could say that. Would not. Yeah, he could. Now, I know I've probably alienated some of our listeners but the intensity with which we both speak about pantera should underscore how important and formative they were in the musical diet of an entire generation of kids metalheads hardcore kids freaks whatever myself yourself included now the first time i ever heard pantera 96 i was a little late to the party I was into punk and Scott. I even heard a little bit of hardcore. And I was in the seventh grade at St. Paul's Catholic School, dodging priest fingerings around every corner. And then this new kid, Glenn, <laughs> he showed up in eighth grade. And Glenn, Glenn was cool. You remember, you remember mm-hmm. when you like became friends with a cool kid? You remember that? Has that no, ever I happened was to the you? Coo- I was the cool kid. Okay. 
All right. Well, there we go. Thank you for undermining my point. Okay, <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. I do. I too. I do totally get that. That's how it was for me when I we got into the hardcore scene. I was like, they're all the cool kids, and I I, I got and then, so when I became friends with them, I was like one of the scene members. I was like, that's cool. That feels well, good. Turns so out I get what you're saying. Them, turns out most of them weren't cool at all, but you know. Yeah. No. <gasps> anyway. I know. It's, the, how how the turntables have turned. <laughs> so Glenn was cool. You know, he he looked cool. He he sounded cool. He acted cool. He's just a cool dude. And I don't remember the the exact moment of the catalyst, but we became really good friends. He played guitar. I played guitar. He was light years ahead of me, and he only listened to metal. I remember the first uh-huh. time I went over to his house on a Saturday, he popped in Master Puppets, and he he had like this really minimalist room. He just had his guitar, his bed, a dresser, and a stereo, and then a stack of CDs. And he popped yeah. on uh, Master of Puppets, and he just sat there and played Battery and Master of Puppets, note for note, flawlessly, including the solos. <clears throat> I'd never uh-huh. seen anyone play like that. He could pick out riffs by ear. He ripped. And he's why I picked up a bass, because I knew I could never be that good. But then he popped in Vulgar Display of Power, and he started playing along to the, the, the first track, Mouth for War. And I'm like, what uh-huh. is this? And he's like, dude. This is Pantera. And <laughs> that's all you really need to say. Pantera, dude. Pantera. Pantera. <laughs> so over seventh and eighth grade, Glenn and I tried to start a band several times and never went anywhere. You know, he wasn't I'm not gonna say he was bad at writing his own songs, but like he was a much better player, I guess, than he was writer. And that comes from someone who's a much better writer than I am player. So we all have our our pros and our cons. And I, I did see him a few times during high school. He started this band called Double Veteran that never really did much. <laughs> do you remember Double right. Veteran? Yes, I do. Yeah. And he, uh, I saw him years later when Ringworm played the Metal Lounge and Demiracus, which was like a complete Slayer knockoff, a good one, opened for them. And he was super hammered and stoked. And, you know, that's basically how you should be when you're watching Ringworm. But, you know, he yeah. was – there's those instrumental people in your life, punk rock, hardcore, they get you into it, they give you a mixtape or whatever – Glenn got me into metal, uh, surface metal. I had to find the rest myself, but without him, he he put Slayer in front of me. He put Metallica, Sepultura, and Pantera in front of me. Those four, among Megadeth and Anthrax, and the rest of the ones that I don't give a fuck about. And I'll always remember him for that, and for telling me I was a pussy on the way to art class one day because he saw I had Enema of the State in my disc man. So <laughs> he wasn't wrong. <laughs> I, I love that album though that album's so good yeah i mean and that was when i, I realized like you can like everything i can listen to pantera i can listen to yeah, 182 i don't give a shit i listened to fucking deicide yesterday and then on the way home from work uh i fucking i just i sang along to turn the radio off yeah i don't care Dude, that's what i'm saying it's you fine. tell me so yeah <laughs> i that's it's totally fine there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure so i remember i remember being in like uh it had to have been like seventh or eighth grade um, when I was hanging out with, uh, our friend Patrick and he would hang out with this kid named Weasel. We called him Weasel. And he was like <laughs> this insane guitar player who would like, like the first song that he ever learned on guitar was Metallica's one. Damn. Cause he was like, like, like front all the way through. He's like, because if I'm going to start somewhere, I'm going to start at the top. And now he's like <laughs> a fucking doctor somewhere. So like now it, it was awesome though, because like at that time, Hanging out with Weasel introduced me to the metal that I like. So that's when I discovered Cannibal Corpse and Meshuggah and like all a deicide. Like if it wasn't for Weasel, I would never would have found deicide. But Pantera was one of those bands. So at the same time that he was kind of introducing me to Pantera, I was also playing baseball. And one of the guys on the baseball team 
also was into Pantera. So I had it coming from like all these different people, these different walks of life, like yeah. baseball star, like nerdy guitar player, metalhead in somebody's apartment. And so, uh, but that's what, that's what we're kind of saying here is that like everybody likes Pantera and yeah. it's, it's amazing how many people truly like Pantera that are in so many different walks of life. So that was my earliest memory of them. I remember downloading a, as much Pantera as I could get on Napster. And one of my favorites was a live track of mouth for war. So yeah. I actually learned how to play it. Cause that riff is so much fun. Like, and, um, but the live track has Phil going, mouth for war, mouth for war, mouth for war, mouth for war. <laughs> and then he goes, and he goes, all right. And then they play it. And that was my, that was like the song that was on so many of my mixes because it was such a good fucking song. And it was such a great live recording. It was just so much fun. So, um, you know, my, and my last favorite thing about them is that like, Every now and again, they play Walk on the Radio. Like, because my car doesn't have like a, a hookup, so I can listen to my music that I like. But every now and again, the radio will play Walk. Why, why don't you just get a new stereo? You can get a stereo with Bluetooth put in for like 60 bucks. So, my, so what I'm saying is, so like, I, so Walk comes on the radio as I'm dropping Riley off in like middle school. Yeah. I turn it up as loud as I could. And at the at the parent drop, I was like, "Can't you see? I'm easily above the Bible sisters." Like, and I'm doing that in the parent portal or the parent drive, and they're like, "I," he, she's like, "You gotta, you gotta stop." And I was like, "Re, respect." And I didn't. And then, you know, normally, like after you've embarrassed your kid, you kind of stop and you're like, "Bye, honey, love you," and you roll up the window and you drive away. I kept driving through the parent portal. The parent. I keep saying that the parent the parent parking lot all the way through the queue. Like I'm sitting in traffic, just going Ruh! spec. <laughs> like it was great. It was great. Driving, driving 15 miles an hour in a school zone, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it's just one of those, and this was, that's happened two years ago. So like the fact that, you know, this band has been such a part of our lives for, I don't know, the better part of two decades, um, really says something. And they're just as much fun. And we are just as stoked about, we're probably more stoked about doing this episode than almost any other deep dive we've done. Yeah, I mean, I I've listened to nothing but Pantera and Down. I mean, a few other things in between, but I mean, mostly that's yeah. what I've been listening to. I've been watching tons of interviews with them and like literally taking notes. And I watched, I went back and watched some of the vulgar videos because Glenn had the vulgar videos. And I mean, look, you know, we didn't have we didn't have nudity on command in our pocket when I was in the eighth grade. Plus I was in Catholic school. So it was like, right. it's just all booze and strippers and those dudes just partying like savage animals. I'd never seen anything like it. And it freaked yeah. me out at first, but now I look at it and I'm like, this is absolutely the coolest life you could have possibly fucking had for these dudes. And yeah. I mean, I'm a little envious. I wish I was uh, a fucking guitar wizard from Texas that you know well we know how it ended but i mean at least he had a lot of good years now this part i was going to leave till a later episode but then i thought we should probably do it up front and the reason i'm going to deliver this section of the episode is because i don't know if the opinion's controversial and since i wrote it i want to make sure i get the blame for it if that's what it is so this is okay. a disc this is a disclaimer 
and I call it by explanations be driven. Now, <laughs> this is something that we have to address. We're talking about how much we love yeah. this band, how influential they were, and whether it be the climate we're in or not, I, we should still probably address it. Now, before yeah. we get into the formative years, there's one thing that needs to be addressed because it's something that comes up. Namely, the accusations that Pantera and especially lead singer Phil Anselmo are and were racist. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not justification for actions. As I said, this is an explanation. There is a difference. An explanation does not seek to, uh, you know, justify what is done, but simply to explain. And then you draw your own conclusions. So, right. We're going to start with the more general one. There's two here that I want to cover. Pantera's use of the Confederate flag on their merch, on stage, and even on Dimebag's guitars. Now, we can agree the Confederate flag is a bad symbol, right? Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Stands for slavery. It's also a flag that flew over an army of traitors that tried to secede from our country because they wanted to keep people in chains. It's not good. Also, it's the wrong flag. It's not even the flag of the nation. Yeah, and I, you, I never understand why there's a Confederate flag and an American flag on the same flagpole. These people don't get it. Well, but I don't understand why they're flying a certain battle flag and not the flag of the Confederacy. So Yeah, that's true. It's the battle flag. You're right. It's a battle flag. So, uh, anyway, go on. <laughs> so, I have a question, though. We've grown up in Florida. We've seen that flag our whole lives. Do you think... Everyone who you've ever known who's worn a shirt with that flag or flew that flag was a racist. I would say no. I think they just I think that they were just misguided. Yes, and that is my point on this this item here. Okay, so we've heard the phrase heritage not hate and it makes you cringe because it's a tone deaf phrase. It it should make you cringe. It, but what I'm asking is when people say that and they truly mean it, they're not correct. But it's true to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I get what you're saying. They're coming from the right place, but in the wrong way. Now, you don't get to decide if a symbol like that is offensive or not. It's not your place. Okay? It's, it's just not. You can't make the decision. It's not fair. But I don't think it means you're a racist necessarily. I think it means you're not thinking about it. You're misguided, like you said. You're not being empathetic. You're making a mistake but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are like a white supremacist. Now, Pantera hailed from Texas. They were emerging in popularity in the late 80s. The only metal bands that anyone gave a shit about were coming out of the Bay Area, you know, and, and New York. So it's Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, SOD, Suicidal Tendencies. DRI was from Texas, but they were never at that level. So Pantera flew the flag, and this is according to them from interviews, because it represented where they were from. They're from the South and you didn't hear about metal from the South and, and, and they were the underdogs would have made more sense to fly the Texan flag, but they didn't. And here we are. So you're right in a Rolling Stone interview from 2015. Phil said that not only that is the reason they flew the flag, but they flew it because they loved Leonard Skinnerd. and like <laughs> Skinnerd, like for anyone who wants to say Skinnerd's a racist band because they've had the Confederate flag on their, on their shirts. Listen to Ronnie's voice. It's just a melting pot of blues and soul and power. You're never going to hear that uh, ever again. Saying Ronnie Van Zant is racist is like saying U2 is exciting. It just doesn't work. I don't know. I've heard some, I've heard some stories about Leonard Skinner. 
But did you hear stories about the original band, Ronnie, the guys that died? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, I don't the, know. all that Confederate shit, all the Skinner shirts we see now—that's post crash, man. <laughs> That's—I mean, I think I think there are probably a certain group in Alabama who do. Well, that's true. Now they are from Jacksonville, though. No, so, I know, but hometown boys. There are people. There are people. Listen, there are people in Alabama who don't know that. Well, uh, again, and they—that is someone who's taking it the wrong way. You, this is why it's dangerous to decide what a symbol means. You know, oh, it's not offensive to us. It's yeah, but some people are going to use it. So Pantera right. flew the flag under the mistaken assumption that people wouldn't take it as racist, and they were wrong. And the and the surviving members have vocalized that they should never have done it. Okay, so they have yeah. admitted it was wrong. Now, the other thing this is the second part that people point to, and this is a little harder to explain away, and I'm not trying to explain it away. I'm just trying to explain it. People point to this incident in January 2016 that occurred at Dime Bash, which was a concert honoring the memory of Dimebag Daryl. More on that next week, uh, probably next week or maybe the week after. We already talked about it on here anyway, uh, where Pantera vocalist Phil he joined Dave Grohl, Robert Chirillo, and Dave Lombardo, what a stacked lineup, on stage to sing a Motorhead cover and a handful of Pantera songs. Now, right. basically, this is what happened. At the end of the set, in response to two hecklers, Phil gave a Nazi salute and yelled white power at the end of the set. Dude. Not, not a good look. Nope. Not at all. But even here, there's evidence that it was a bad joke i'm not saying it's excusable i'm not saying it's funny but it was that's a bad joke is is not funny okay it, it was a right. bad joke so we're gonna take a look at it so we're clear now the story goes according to several articles i read rolling stone billboard and phil gave a statement on his house core records youtube channel which his label it's his label we'll get to that later they were all drinking white wine backstage that night now follow me here as i said pantera okay. is notorious for playing hammered they partied. They would drink the venue dry. Phil admits that during Dime Bash, he was shithoused. And as a joke, backstage, they were drinking white wine, which to me sounds absolutely believable. Hey, man, let's drink Supreme Grige. It'll be hilarious. White wine, white power. Okay? That, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's probably what he was th th saying. Now, the salute and the yelling of that was allegedly, like I said, directed at some Hitler hecklers. He took a bad racist inside joke and shared it with the world. Now, Phil's French, and he's uh, or he's uh, he's Sicilian, and he grew up in a melting pot in the French Quarter. You know, he's had all kinds of, of ethnicities in his family. Sure, people like that can be racist, absolutely. But do I think he's racist for real? I don't. Now, this is anecdotal evidence that I'll end with. Do you okay. remember some of our friends, even people who are very, I would say, woke now? And I'm not going to name names. But both of us heard many people in our group making off-color jokes back in the day. Am I right? Oh, yeah. For sure. Constantly. So, were the jokes oh, mean? all the time. Were the jokes mean? Yeah. And they're gross. Of course. But do you think, as mistaken as they were to make them in our company, they didn't make them to actual people of color, but in our company, do you think they truly meant them? Only one of them did. Which one was that? Well, he's dragging his knuckles at Walmart right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. No, I know who you're talking about. But the vast majority of the people <laughs> who did that 
No, I don't think they were racist. I think they were trying to be edgy in 2003 and make racist, shitty jokes just to just to freak people out. It doesn't excuse it, but that's what it was. You can say something shitty and offensive, as Phil did, but there's not always meaning behind it. You should be held responsible for your words. You know, you, 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 you there's got to be some distinction though. Who made the bad joke, apologized and stopped, and then who actually meant it and continued. I think it's safe to say Phil made a bad racist joke while he was drunk. I'm not saying we'd all do it because we wouldn't. Some people might. And with the backlash he received and the apologies he gave, I think we can move on. If, if either of those two things keeps, keeps you from listening to Pantera, there's nothing we can say that will change your mind. We're going to leave you with two lyrics before we jump into the history. The first one's from a new Uh level from a vulgar display of power. Demanding plea for unity between us all, united stand, death before divided fall, and mock military order, vulgar power impatient, because time is shorter, new life in place of old life. Song about unity. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, Rise, also from Vulgar. Mass prediction, unification, breathing life into out lungs. That's a bad sentence. Every creed and every kind to give us depth for strength. Taught when we're young to hate one another, it's time to have a new reign of power. Make pride universal so no one gives in. Turn our backs on those who oppose. Then when confronted, we ask them the question, what's wrong with their mind? I think that's a pretty safe assumption right there. That's saying, it's, it, I, think it's a, I think that he made a mistake that night and it was fucked up, but I don't think he's racist. So I think all that can evaporate as we now begin the dive 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 <laughs> and into pantera you'll get what you'll get what we mean when we get to the great southern trinco so that's it there you go part 1 <laughs> that we call metal magicians so Pantera, um, also every week in my life, I say the word Pantera at least twice, um, referencing Panera bread. I always call it Pantera <laughs> bread. Yeah. Always. Yeah, you have to. And my kids are like, what are you saying? So Pantera, uh, would be a band that would eventually come to be known as one of the most massively successful and influential metal bands of all time. A band that would sell over 40 million records worldwide, despite their ultra abrasive sound, Woo! a band that would be nominated for four count them four Grammys. Okay. Which one of our friends has, um, was started in Arlington, Texas in 1981. So they're older than both of us. Oh yeah. Texas 81. Now leather faces run around with a chainsaw. It's crazy. Yeah. Not, not a great place to live. Of course this, <laughs> this kind of music came out. So, um, so the original lineup of Pantera was formed while the members were only in 11th grade. And that lineup consisted of brothers, Vincent Paul and Daryl Lance Abbott on drums and guitar, respectively. Second guitar, Terry Glaze, uh, bassist, Tommy Bradford and vocalist, Donnie Hart. So if you're not familiar with this lineup, we're going to get into it. Now, of course, their original name wasn't Pantera. Uh, at first they went by Gemini to emulate as Vinnie Paul would put it, the bands like journey and heart, then, also, as Paul said, they changed the name to Eternity, quote, which was much cooler. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> the name Pantera was decided upon rather unceremoniously. Vinnie Paul was in the drum line in high school, which also, thinking about Vinnie Paul in a drum line is fucking <laughs> great. Like, just like... <laughs> <laughs> Just triplets on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, it'd be the worst drum line. They'd be like, Vinnie, come on. 
So, uh, a fellow school band member suggested the name Pantera, which is Spanish for Panther. And uh, <laughs> it was also a, a make of race car, both that Paul and his friends thought was cool. So, uh, we forget that the band's name, what the man's name means sometimes, because it just sounds so badass. We forget about this band name. We forget that this is some insanely brutal and violence-inciting band that's named after a panther. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we start thinking about this, though, Pantera started out um, on that Texas club circuit, like a lot of those bands did, um, playing cover sets of Van Halen and Kiss, which, when you kind of go to their history, it makes sense. Um, didn't take long for them to garner some attention, mostly because there was an undeniable music ability in the Brothers Abbott, right? So Vinny and Dimebag were just incredible musicians, regardless of what you have to say. Pantera began supporting bigger name acts on their jaunts through the South, like bands like Striper, which also, I fucking love that. Pantera and Striper together? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Dawkin and Quiet Riot, all bands that my dad has seen. Now, <laughs> I wonder if your dad saw Pantera back in the day. No, I, he said he's never seen Pantera. I've asked him about this before, but he always, anytime, anytime anybody in, in earshot of my dad says Dokken, he goes, rock it with Dokken. Because I guess it's like the thing. So like he, and, but like the best part is he doesn't give a fuck about Dokken. He just always says they like, rock it with Dokken. So now within the first two years of the band's existence, Donnie Hart quit. And Terry Glaze slid over to lead vocal positions. And Tommy Bradford also vacated his spot and was replaced permanently by none other than Rex Brown. Rex I fucking Brown! Dude, I love I loved this guy because he was always, like, the super quiet one of the whole group. Like, nobody really knows if he, like, ever speaks. Um, <laughs> but I remember, like, watching him play and listening to some of the bass lines on this. I was like, I need to do that. When I, yeah. when I first tuned my bass down to drop C and started playing those songs, I was like, I can finally fucking play Pantera songs. Like, Sick, I don't have to play yeah. Linkin Park anymore. Dude, I, so. I've watched some videos, some interviews of him, and he is still very soft-spoken. He's just kind of like, yeah, man, I mean, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, he's, yeah. he's like, very not, like, just very calm. Yeah, dude is a professional rocker. So, now, by 1983, Pantera had released their debut album, Metal Magic, on their very own label called Metal Magic Records. And so what's what's great about this and kind of what I love about this is this is actually something that happened a lot in punk and hardcore too. Like bands would be like, oh, we don't have a record label. Let's go start our own record label. We'll put out our stuff. And that's why you have like Plan 9 Records and Discord and SST and all these records that we're going to – record labels that we're going to cover later. Yeah, they pulled a, they pulled a Misfits. Yeah, they, that's, yeah, Pantera's copying the Misfits, which is fucking awesome. Uh, now – Horrendous does not begin to describe the cover art of this debut. Um, I've seen some bad cover art recently. Um, <laughs> there's some band um, that is out of like Scranton, Pennsylvania right now, or Wilkes-Barre, uh, or they called like Warren or something like that, which they have. They, the record is fine, but it is the literally the worst album cover I've ever seen. What is it? Um, it's a half torso <laughs> person. Okay. Impaled on a spike, holding its own intestines, but it looks like it's drawn like um like a like a Nintendo, like a Nintendo game cartridge. It's like drawn. pixel like, art. Is, no, it's not pixel art. It's like that old bad airbrushed art, like the old like it's like one of those. But he's holding his intestines. He's in. He's like in a post-apocalyptic wasteland behind him, and he's also wearing a Jason mask. I forgot he's wearing a Jason mask too. And I'm looking it up here. Looking it up. Yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> I mean. I, I've, uh, it's pretty bad. The The actual character is really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's all real bad. Like, it gets worse the more you look at it. 
Yeah, it's like it looks different from the what's around it. It's like two different artists worked on it. Yeah, it's all real bad. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no it's thanks. Not as bad as this though. It's not as bad as this though. <laughs> yeah, so, this is bad. Uh, prior to Cowboys, all their albums had a had pretty terrible artwork. Um, but this one is a nightmare to behold. It is a Catman. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. And what not, is it? What is it? Uh, it's Catman. <laughs> it's a Catman. It's Kevin. So the problem is, is that it's it's a Catman. It looks like a reject character from He Man. It does, dude. It definitely looks like somebody He Man would have battled. Many faces yeah. and Pantera the Catman. Yeah, except like, except the thing is, is like he like he would be on the episode that would have gotten cut because it's <laughs> just it's the worst. Like so disturbing to children. Yeah. So the cover of Pantera's debut album, the best they had to offer at the time was a literal Catman, muscle-bound, wearing a belt with no pants, and, why not, holding a sword that doesn't make any sort of military... It looks like an axe sword. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very strange. Yeah, as opposed to the strange cat that's on it. So, yeah, and also, yeah, no why genitals. is he wearing a belt? No genitals. I mean, yeah. literally no pants. He's wearing no bottoms except for a belt. The band's logo looks like it was drawn by someone without hands who held a pen in their mouth and filled in with some kind of 80s sick chrome type of look right like that that like real bad like yeah looks like, like a muffler of, yeah it's real bad uh <laughs> the album's contents don't exactly rise above the ridiculous cover art either songs like ride my rocket metal magic tell me if you want it and sad lover sound like off-brand sam's club motley crew uh which is probably yeah that's pretty accurate so um it's just not good in any sense of the word on any level it's not so now, for some, it's hard to balance these two versions of Pantera. It's like holding two ideas that conflict at the same time. Like, like I love pizza, and I love Chicago deep dish, but is Chicago deep dish pizza? I don't know. I hold these two ideas, and I can't really reconcile them. But is is it pizza or pie? I don't know. It's pie. But, uh, all right. So, is it, though? So, it's it's hard to balance these two ideas or keep these in, in head. Like, the pummeling juggernaut that we all know and love, but this weird subpar glam rock band um, that doesn't even seem real. They seem like they're pulled out of some bad 80s commercial. Um, and one of these ideas really sucks. Sucks ass. Like, a lot. Right? Like, so we can't hold both of them at the same time. We need to drop one. But, I will say this. The music was at least competent for what it was. It just wasn't engaging it was fine terry glaze's vocals were typical for the genre they were high pitched too much vibrato like vince neal with a punctured scrotum like it was just real not good i mean that's the only way you can describe it (laughs) real not good it was real not good so uh also during their metal magic days pantera fully embraced their glam metal image so they looked like they had long they did have long hair it was either feathered or permed spandex bodysuits i i love thinking about like Phil Anselmo wearing a spandex bodysuit and being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, we'll get there. So, we'll get there. Yeah. I can't wait. So, um, and they even changed their names. Daryl chose Diamond Daryl uh, and Rex went with Rex Rocker. Mm, okay. Vinny used his full name Vincent, which sounded classy, but the neck beard growing into his chest hair look that he kind of sports through that time uh, would say otherwise. Now, Pantera's debut was produced by Daryl and Vince, Vinny's father. I'm sorry, Vincent. Daryl and Vincent's father, um, Jerry Abbott, a country musician and sound engineer at a local recording studio in Abilene, Texas. And he also functioned as the band's first manager and produced the, the three subsequent albums following Metal Magic. So, yes, there were three albums after this. 
<laughs> well, there were a lot of albums after this, but there were three pretty bad ones before the there good were three. One. There were three this Pantera, right? Yeah. There were three Kiss Terra. <laughs> yeah, Kiss Terra. That's good. So, so Jerry Abbott was credited as the Eldon or Jerry Eldon on the band's early releases. Uh, I guess that's Texas Marble Mouth for Elder, I guess, or something like that. Or maybe they just read too many Lord of the Rings books. But Eldon, just bad. This is real bad. Now, uh, but there, there's something really sad about Jerry Abbott. Like, as of this recording in 2021, he's still alive at 78 years old. Which, if you know how the story ends, is awful. Yeah. That is awful. It's very sad. Yep. So, as we'll get to later, uh, he outlived both of his sons and his wife. Um, so, next time you listen to Pantera, spare a thought for Jerry. Uh, he made the band possible, and now he's probably sitting in a nursing home alone in Texas, trying to get the orderlies to sneak him some good bourbon because Vinny and Dime aren't around to do it anymore. Spare a thought for Jerry. What is this? <laughs> spare a thought for Jerry. Elden Jerry. Now, in 1984, Pantera followed up with Metal Magic with Projects in the Jungle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and then... I Am The Night in 1985, both on Metal Magic Records, and both featured some real garbage artwork, but nothing as bad as the Catman. So, Projects in the Jungle and I Am The Night are nowhere near the band's later output, but both these records were considered uh, a slight improvement over Metal Magic, um, even though they still featured much of the same glam rock bullshit rock style, um, just with a slightly harder edge. Now, what's important to remember is, like, during this time, like, while the arena rock stuff was going on, like, you had punk and metal that were kind of growing in opposition to this, right? Like you had the, the stooges that came out that were like a rock and roll band and they were going against all the glitter that was going on at the time. Like I remember reading so many punk memoirs that talk about the discovery of glitter. It's like, fuck that. Like, what are you talking about? So anyway, that's not my point. The prevailing consensus is that uh, was that the band had potential, especially uh, with Dimebag Daryl. Uh, his guitar playing is just uh, as he gets just as he goes forward. You're just kind of like just one of the most innovative guitar players that you'll ever hear. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. Agreed. Um, but glam bands were a dime a dozen in the mid '80s, and most of them sucked. And not everyone could be Motley Crue, and not even Pantera. So um, you know, Doctor Feelgood is a banger, but Pantera left them in their wake many, many years later. So now it was after I in the night that Terry Glaze left Pantera to form the band Tracy Lords, uh, which was then named Lord Tracy because you know, they're not very good at naming bands. Now, uh, after Terry, the band went through some more vocalists, including Matt Lamore. L- is that Lamore? Lamore. I think, I think Lamore. I nailed it. Um, who went on to the band Diamond and a guy named David Peacock, who uh, both of whom will now leave the story forever. Now, with the vocal slot vacant, it seemed that Pantera's dreams of rock stardom would never come to pass. But as luck would have it, at that very moment when all seemed lost, just eight hours away in New Orleans, no, Pantera's future vocalist was sitting in the French Quarter wearing a scowl and a sleeveless discharge shirt, waiting for the stars to align. <laughs> Which, of course, brings us to part two, my favorite part, Phil. (laughs) Phil was born Philip Hansen Anselmo, so he's one of my people, in 1968 (laughs) in New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's hard to imagine Phil being a child as he's always looked like he was sort of birth fully formed. 
with a furrowed brow and a punch in each hand. But apparently... Yeah, dude is forever mad. <laughs> he looks so mad. He was young at some point. Now, reportedly, Phil was interested in playing music from an early age, fronting his first group at just 13 years old, which I did not know until huh. I started reading about him. Now, by his own account, Phil used to come home from school and practice his vocals with Judas Priest's Unleashed in the East live record before his parents got home from work. <laughs> you know, just probably breaking all the fucking glass in the house. Yeah. So, Ugh. This accounts, I would say this probably accounts for the initial high-pitched soaring register that can be heard on power metal and a little bit <laughs> on Cowboys from Hell. Phil's got pipes, uh-huh. man, and, and he, yeah. can, he can get it up there if he feels like it, even though he can oh, get it down here if he feels like it. Now, it was the sound of the day, and, and you know, honestly, metal fans wouldn't start to hear more guttural vocals, at least regularly until the advent of death metal during the mid to late eighties. So yeah. we're in that time, but death metal hasn't, you know, uh, become a, f- I, I feel like it hasn't become such an all encompassing force yet. Right now, even while Phil was still in high school, he was doing five gigs a week. Um, and he eventually began crossing paths with Pantera. Now they were all playing the same Southern club circuit, um, New Orleans, Texas, all that. And when Terry Glaze left the band to form Lord Tracy or whatever the shit, (laughs) Phil's name came up as a possible replacement. He had a reputation as being a badass vocalist. So Phil flew out to Texas for one night, jammed with Pantera, and then flew back the next day. Now, four days later, Dime called. And we're saying Dime, we're saying Dime Bag, we're saying Daryl. That's all the same guy. Dime and Daryl, Dime Bag Daryl, Dime, Daryl. Whatever, Daryl Abbott, Daryl Lance dim, Abbott. Dim Dan Daryl. Same guy, all right? So Dime called and offered Phil the vocal slot. Now, according to Phil, he stuffed what little possessions he had in a trash bag, tucked some vinyl under his arm, and he just flew to Dallas. It was a real Matt moment. Because moment. <laughs> <laughs> as we know, Matt used to travel with his trash bags, uh, a couple of them, and that was all he had in the world. He was a bit of a, tro- <laughs> he was a, bit of a troubadour. Now, sans Terry Glaze, Pantera began to rebuild their image and their fan base with Phil as their new frontman. But Phil, as we alluded to before, he's having a difficult time with the band's predilection for spandex. You look at Uh Phil, you don't immediately think spandex. You think, this guy's going to knock all my teeth out. So Phil really longed to break out of the club band stigma uh, that the band was was in, you know, there's there's a difference between being a national touring band and being a club band. I mean, it's like being a club comic and being fucking Dave Chappelle, you know? Right. And also, not only the image, but he had some issues with their overall musical direction. Now, specifically, I got this from an interview, and I think it tells volumes about them. Phil describes Dime as more of a Metallica type guy, while Phil uh-huh. himself was more of a Slayer type guy. And even though we we sort of disparaged them at the beginning of this episode by sort of equating and then belittling them, there is is a key difference between Metallica guys and Slayer guys. Now, Metallica is a bit more sanitized and listener-friendly, especially now, of course. Slayer did come from a similar thrash foundation. They both came out of the same area, I believe, the Bay Area, if I'm not mistaken. If I if I am, I don't really fucking care. But you can look that up. I'm sure somebody knows. But when you compare Master of Puppets to Rain and Blood, uh-huh. 
both released in 86, not long after Pantera lost their vocalist and direction. Rain and Blood is far darker, more aggressive, and just yeah. more dangerous, right? Than, than Master oh. of Puppets. Most definitely, I like I like I will bob my head to Master of Puppets, but I will bang my head to Rain and Blood. Like I, the, whenever whenever Master of Puppets comes on, I kind of go like, okay, like, like I'll do like I'll kind of pretend, but like when Slayer comes on, I kick my leg up and I play like I'll kick my I will kick Riley's door down and go <laughs> Alexa, play Slayer. And go and she goes Dad, like she gets really mad at me about it. Dude, so. uh, you know, and I, I know I've, I've, I've probably said stupid shit about Slayer or Carrie King or whatever, but like Slayer's, you know, Rain and Blood, Seasons in the Abyss, uh, South of Heaven. I think I did them out of order there, but those three, I mean, come on, the, the, you don't yeah. get better than, than that as far as evil fucking thrash goes. Right. So. <clears throat> Despite both Metallica and Slayer being on major labels, Elektra and Def Jam, respectively, Slayer was still the more underground. You know, they, they were still the scarier band. You know, Slayer was cool and Metallica was Metallica. <laughs> but it was this difference in musical taste that was going to be the key to the future of Pantera. So speaking of Slayer, guitarist Kerry King was a friend of the band. Fortuitously, Dime ended up jamming with Kerry King and this helped influence his guitar playing. I guess he saw carrie king playing these dissonant crazy riffs and and this is also in addition to phil bringing in a more underground metal punk hardcore vibe to the band Mm -hmm. yeah so in 88 pantera released their fourth lp power metal once again (laughs) uh, on metal magic records now despite the title for anyone who knows what power metal is it's not anything like actual power metal. No dragons, no enchanted kingdoms, mighty steeds made of clouds and dreams. It's not happening, yeah. okay? I mean, we're not, like, not even, like, cool power. Like, it's not, like, Hammerfall. Yeah, it's it's definitely no Sonata Arctica, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, it's, it truly means what it is. It's powerful metal. At least that's what they wanted it to be. Stronger record- than all. <laughs> the power metal was Pantera's most aggressive material yet, though there's still some traces of glam. It's very hard to shake, apparently. I mean, it takes some, like, four full-length albums to get rid of it. And even then, <laughs> eh, we're talking Cemetery gl- What's Gates. the glitter? Yeah, it's the glitter. glitter off. So, for the most part, Power Metal is a thrash record, and it's a competent one, but, you know, competent is competent. Anthrax is competent, so that's not really the highest praise. Now, one of the songs on Power Metal, Proud to be Loud, was written and produced not by Pantera, but by a guy named Mark Ferrari, which is Ugh. his real name. He must have had it legally changed or nobody knows his actual name. It's just Mark Ferrari. Uh-huh. He, he was the guitarist of L.A. glam metal band Keel. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what the fuck that is. Pantera's version of Proud to be Loud, it ended up making it onto the soundtracks for the Mighty Ducks 2. (laughs) (laughs) Pantera's song is in the Mighty Ducks 2. A MacGyver TV movie, and both of those happened in 94. Now, years later in 2001, that same song appeared in the party scene of Donnie Darko. Oh, my God. I was just thinking about this. There is a direct link from Pantera to Disney now. (laughs) That's disgusting. I hate it. (laughs) <laughs> but by by 2001 when their song their old last song was in donnie darko even by 94 pantera was no longer some spandex clad feathered hair group of texas glam metal rejects playing hell gigs for pitchers of beer no the most <laughs> symbolic change for pantera came during a band meeting shortly after the release of power metal 
Vinnie Paul recalls saying, These magic clothes don't play music we do. Let's just go out there and be comfortable. Jeans, t-shirt, whatever. See where it goes. And their ball sacks would forever thank them. <laughs> In 1989, this is a this is a this is a, a bad one here. This is a bad part. <laughs> In 1989, Megadeth frontman and riff pastor Dave Mustaine. <laughs> he asked riff Dime pastor. Yeah, riff pastor. He asked Dime to play guitar in his <gasps> shitty band. Now, remember Pantera had shed the spandex? They're working towards uh-huh. something new. And here comes Dave Mustaine, ready to fuck up the whole situation. Thankfully, Dime responded that if they wanted him, they had to take Vinny. Well, Megadeth had mm-hmm. already hired Nick Menza, so this deal was not to be. In a 2019 mm-hmm. interview, Mustaine recalled the offer. Can you imagine what Vinny and Daryl would have been with Dave Ellefson? Would have been pretty cool. No, Dave. No. It would not have been pretty cool. You deserve Marty Friedman and his spatula face. He makes Dan Lilker look like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> there's my there's my 80s metal knowledge coming up. It seemed yep. that this near brush with Megadeth was the final hurdle that the Abbott brothers needed to clear before they could focus completely on Pantera and that's just what they did and that brings us to part three cowpunchers from perdition (laughs) (laughs) so the rebirth of Pantera came on the heels of multiple rejections from major labels in the months after Power Metal. Uh, the material the band was writing was radically different from what they had done previously, and it was heavier, it was uh, it had a more negative lyrical vibe, and ultimately it was just better. And yes. so uh, the legend that is Mark Ross, A&R rep for Atco Records, saw the band perform while stranded in Texas at, after the state was hit by Hurricane Hugo in September of 89. Eventually, he would sign them. Now, imagine... For a second, if the best thing that comes out of a natural disaster is Pantera, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> Take my house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what do we get out of what do we get out of Hurricane Andrew? Like, I don't know, uh, the the Ricky Martin. <laughs> just fucking through Ricky Martin like 300 miles. I was to say they're not even they're and also they're not even in the same decade. I don't think so. Actually, you know, to be honest though, I'd rather keep my house because I just got a PlayStation Five. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, you need a house for that. I want my stuff. Give me my stuff. You should. Uh, you should try to find a McDonald's and plug it into one of those TVs with the N64s. Yeah, that sounds like something I'm not going to do. Continue. Okay. All right. So, so <laughs> Mark Ross signing them led to Pantera getting a manager that wasn't Diamond Vinny's dad, uh, who remember is all in the nursing home right now. <laughs> Spare a thought for Jerry. Spare a care for Jerry. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. I, I didn't review these notes. So uh, a manage a manager named Walter O'Brien, uh, who would remain with the band for their entire record, so or for their entire career. So Walter O'Brien stayed with them. Now they have a manager that's not Jerry Abbott, um, and they can kind of go forward with this really awesome career they've kind of forged for themselves. So the recording sessions for what would become Cowboys from Hell took place in the late in in late eighty nine or early ninety, uh, but no one in Pantera can seem to remember exactly when. 
uh, due to, I don't know, the vats of whiskey they consumed during the process. So uh, I imagine they probably don't remember many of those years that they were a band, um, no, no. which is actually kind of par for the course, as you'll see in the upcoming episodes. Um, I'm I'm shocked that these guys weren't sponsored by Jack Daniels, but I bet they were at some point in time. I You know what? I think you might actually be right. They had their own signature cocktail, the Black Tooth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so- I can't remember if they were sponsored or not, but I'll, I'll look it up for next week. Was it just like more whiskey and whiskey? Like, was that the drink? It was like, like it. It was like a Jack and Coke, but there was something different about it. I think I can't remember, but uh, it was probably just heroin. <laughs> probably. Phil <laughs> <So. laughs> added the heroin in there. That's, that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really they, well. Speaking of that, these dudes were constantly soused. Right, they oh, were gone. Oh, okay. So hold on, we'll throw it in here real quick. It's a black tooth grin. It's a double shot of Seagram Seven. And a double shot of Crown Royal tossed over ice. And it's with just enough Coke, uh, Coca-Cola to give it a darkened hue. I thought it was whiskey because they just they drink Jack. I mean, the official Live 101 proof is a takeoff on the Jack Daniels label. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I don't know. So, we were wrong. But uh, they did have a drink, Black Tooth Smile. Okay. So, Pantera recorded Cowboys from Hell at the uh, Pantego Sound in Pantego, Texas. I don't know where that is in Texas. I just yeah, I can only imagine. So um, initially, they were going to do a record with a guy named Max Norman who had worked with Ozzy, but he bailed to produce the debut album from Doc Inside Project Lynch Mob. So, you know, missed opportunities and all that. <laughs> rockin' with Dockin'. Oh, yeah, rockin' with Dockin'. It's like, Dad, name a Dockin' song. No, I don't know any. <laughs> who cares? Fuck that band. Uh, yeah, that's, that, and, then he, and then he runs away after he tells you, <laughs> Put the band, and he runs. So eventually Pantera settled on producer Terry Date. Uh, they chose Date because he had produced Overkill's 89 LP, The Years of Decay, uh, a record from which Dime took a lot of influence. Now, Date would go on to produce not only all of Pantera's other records, except for their final release, but he was also responsible for Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger, Deftones' Around the Fur, White Zombie's Astro Creep 2000, Incubus' Science, Limp Bizkit's Significant Other, and even Unearth's third record. So... Mm. The guy is kind of a big deal, and everything was different this time around, too. So when they go in to record, their riffs are heavier, Phil's vocals, uh, they kind of creep into that Halford pitch, that that, that territory. Uh, they were more guttural. Uh, they had more to do with hardcore than what was known at metal, as metal at the time. Like, they kind of were, they're definitely, like, you can hear, like, influences of Black Flag and what they're doing. Yeah, he's um, barking a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of barking. There's a lot of barking. So, uh, Rex was no longer relegated to doing the lame Nikki Six bullshit root note impersonation that he was doing, and uh, was kind of weaving in the crushing backbone of the low end between Dime and Vinny. And when you and you hear this a lot when you listen to the live record, like whenever Dimebag just kind of like decides to light his guitar on fire with magic, you still hear Rex <laughs> Brown magic. playing in the background. Yeah, metal magic, power metal magic. Yeah, you can now, Rex. You can hear he's one of those bassists that like, oh, he's he's there, he's present. You can hear like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, like it's nice to know that he's needed. Yeah. So, um, you know, and and so you know, while this is going on, you've got Vinny, who is the power in the groove in this band. Like without him, like his impressive kind of interesting drumming i always thought he was a really interesting drummer you can hear these kind of like a metalhead drummer but he's got like a kind of a his own flair to it which is nice um and you all you see this kind of all coming together on cowboys uh it's still one of the most unique metal drumming records that you'll hear um even 31 goddamn years later because that record is 31 years old now yep 
So, with, within less than two years, the band went from rock the world and proud to be loud to domination and message in blood. So, the lyrical content was much darker and much more visceral than before. So, some might ask, and I'm sure they did back then, did Pantera manufacture this new tough, aggressive image? Was it just some sort of marketing ploy to sell records? You know, glam's dead, let's do something different. Uh, we contend that this was, it was the band's previous glam metal existence that was the marketing ploy. You know, they were trying to get popular with what was popular. Now, they went in a an entirely different direction <clears throat> that not many people were brave enough to go in. So, with the introduction of Phil <clears throat> and the underground influences he brought to the table, not to mention the dawning of Slayer, the abandoning of the hair metal image... All of those things gave Pantera the confidence to be who they truly were and to create the music everyone would come to know them for. Now, mm -hmm. Cowboys from Hell was released on July 24th, 1990. And even though it is actually the band's fifth studio album, most, including the band themselves, regard it as the first. Now, Cowboys would go on to be the flagship release of the newly christened groove metal genre. Uh -huh. So most people consider Cowboys to be the first quote unquote groove metal record, though Prongs Beg to Differ was released the same year, featured a similar heavy sound. It's a decent record, but you know, comparing Pantera to Prong is like comparing apples to butts. So <laughs> I mean I'm not saying anything bad about Prong. I mean, they don't have very many good albums, but I mean, you know, come on. Let's Cowboys is still considered one of Pantera's greatest albums, even though the band would surpass it in intensity on their subsequent records. The title track is regarded as the band's anthem with its instantly recognizable main riff and memorable chorus. Here we come. Reach for your gun and you better listen well, my friends, you see. It's a pistol down below aimed at you. We're the cowboys from hell. There's very little filler. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. There's very little filler on the record, and nearly every tr every track is an unforgiving punch in the face. Primal Concrete Sledge, Heresy, Shattered, The Art of Shredding, Domination uh -huh. is another classic Cowboys track. So much so that while many of these, these songs fell away, except for the title track in, their, in the band's live show, Domination was still included, though they shortened it and they put it together with Hollow, in the band's set list during their final years. And this was due to uh -huh. the last full minute of the song turning into a demon death march breakdown. <laughs> now, that one minute of Chug is probably responsible for influencing just about every heavy hardcore band from 1990 on. I'm going to tell you right now, without Pantera and all their boozing and drugging and, and grabbing strippers' boobs... You're not going to have Earth Crisis Firestorm. You just won't. So credit where credit's right. due, Carl. Now, Domination <laughs> is an absolutely brutal slog, and there's just these crazy face melters over that chugging. Um, then, of course, there's the one, I would say the one real standout on Cowboys from Hell. A seven-minute power ballad entitled Cemetery Gates. This Ugh. is the last lake to the band's early days that's still present on Cowboys. It's a little hair metal, but it still manages to sound appropriate and modern, and it does not sound out of place. Dime made his fucking guitar tell you a story on this song. <laughs> I mean, just 
you just listen to the the, the those like ad libbed leads as they're leading into the heavy part. I mean, you're just like you get chills. It's like there, you know, it's like something Hendrix would have done, just like made the guitar talk. Yeah. And I don't even give that much of a shit about amazing guitar playing, but I give a shit about this. Well, now, right. Like, I, you know, I like it's funny because thinking about the stuff my dad would listen to, like I remember listening to like Eddie Van Halen, who's an incredible guitar player, Jimmy Page, like Ace Freely, like all these like, you know, like, you know, all these people. And uh, I never really cared. I was like, OK, so like the ones that I paid attention to were like fucking Eric Clapton, like knowing he's a really great kind of bluesy guitar player but yeah when he was Dimebag is like kid well yeah when he didn't sing that horribly sad song about his kid falling out of a window <laughs> yeah God. also yeah if you didn't know that tears in heaven is about his son falling out of a window and dying so while he um, was high yeah so you good know guy. good guy yeah yeah so but anyway Dimebag's guitar is just fucking just insane i love it yeah and, and not only dime but phil proved that not only could he bark like a rabid junkyard dog, he could at the very same time soar like Halford. Like we knew he could do that, but we didn't know he could do them both together in the same song. His range, like it cannot be understated how incredible and and versatile of a vocalist he really is. Well, and I think like this is the thing about Pantera that people don't give them all credit for is all of them are like that. Like all of them. Yeah. They are really just like masters at what they do. All of them, you know? So now on this record, they kind of deviate from their previous stuff. Right. So, uh, the cover art, I think is like one of the more fun ones, but it is the first time we see the Pantera logo that we're going to remember them for the rest of their career. This is like, they really kind of took it and is like, this is a new band. Yeah. Like they, they kind of like rebranded everything. Uh, the band members are superimposed over an old photo of a saloon, uh, looking just as casual as Vinnie Paul had suggested they be. Sneakers, Chuck Taylors, jeans, shorts, sleeveless tees. Uh, Phil's in mid-leap, not even wearing a shirt, looking like he's he'd be more at home diving off a stave, stage at CBs during uh, a Bad Brain set rather than fronting a metal band. So he looks very different. Um, he kind of looks like um, like a Louisiana Henry Rollins. <laughs> he does, yeah. And compare it to the cover of Power Metal, where they look like Kiss without the makeup. It's it's yeah. it's very. It's not long after, and they completely flipped it. They flipped yeah. it for real. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know the thing is, is that the clothes may seem like a minor deal, but at the time, this was a really big thing in general. Like you had like style within certain genres. I mean, punks were kind of driven out of scenes if they didn't look the same. You saw this in the straight edge scenes. You saw this in the metal scenes. If you didn't look the part, then you didn't get to be in the the, the, the activities. And so um, it's a minor detail, but this is also the band kind of shedding that larger than life Motley Crue-esque type of feel and uh, showing that they were truly a metal band for an everyman, right? So they were moving on from the people of Glitter and moving down to the blue-collar workers that would actually listen to them. So... Cowboys was a success. It reached number 27 on the Billboard charts by 92 and eventually going gold and platinum. But even before this, it was enough to get Pantera out on their first real North American tour with support first from Exodus and Suicidal Tendencies. (laughs) Suicidal Tendies. (laughs) Suicidal Tendies. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's, 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 uh, Suicidal Tendencies for Millennials. (laughs) So, uh, and then later, Mind Over Four, who, what is that? that? What is that? I don't know what that is. Who is like, who is mind over for? 
Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. I never scan heard the name. notes next time. God damn it. Uh, no, I don't. I thought that was a typo. So also, um, I've never heard of that band. And also, yeah, prom. That, that's the... why I said who. Oh, I get it. I get it. Now I get the joke. See, I'm too. I could never be in Pantera. I wouldn't survive. So now, uh, during the Canadian Lake, Rob Halford even joined Pantera on stage for two priest covers, which I'm sure Phil and Selma was stoked about. Um, they covered Grinder and Metal Gods. Uh, Pantera would go on to open for Priest during their '91 European tour, which probably delighted Phil due to his love for the band. Uh, again, a still delighted Phil and Selma would be disappointing to see. I would love, to, I would love to see this. Right, somebody who's just like stoked about, like Phil and Selma just stoked about anything. Yeah. Like I see him kind of like he thinks things are awesome. Right? Mm-hmm. But like he's like very low key, like he's too cool to think things are awesome. But I want to see him st- I want to see him giddy. Like <laughs> I want to see him how I felt when when um I was going to see Star Wars when I was a kid. Like I want to see that Phil. But I I I just I like that he doesn't smile. I mean, uh, it's it's fine. Yeah, I mean that's fine too, but you know, alternate universe. Now, during this jaunt, uh, the band made their appearance at Toshino Airfield in Moscow in September of 1991, which saw them take stage alongside Metallica and ACDC. So, uh, the minute that they're not wearing spandex, they're all of a sudden very famous. Now, after yeah. supporting Cowboys for two and a half years, uh, Pantera returns to the studio with their hardest material yet, uh, and it would be their sixth or second, depending on how you're looking at this chronology, um, their sixth or second studio album, Vulgar Display of Power. And good God. Um, I can't wait to cover this. It it, it will put... It'll, it'll rest any notions that you have this band. It will it will lay to rest those 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 uh app, that that apprehensiveness that you have towards this band. Um, because it's a powerhouse. It's brutal, and it's just it's like the, it's like they woke up and chose violence forever that day. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna talk we're, about the cover photo too because there's a good story behind that. Oh, I can't wait. So we're going to tackle Vulgar next week, along with Far Beyond Driven, The Great Southern Trend Kill, and everything in between. So hold your mouth for war, kids. Yeah, um, the one thing we didn't really mention was after the Cowboys tour, uh, before they went into the studio, well, I don't know when it came out, but they had filmed all this footage. And it was, Uh they had done some videos, some live videos. I think they did an official music video for Cowboys from Hell. I could be wrong. But um, they had all this live footage and then all this extra footage of the band just just getting ripped, just wild. Uh-huh. And they decided, because back then there was no fucking YouTube and nobody really used the internet. So they basically took all this footage, six music videos that they shot, and just all this footage of them drinking with strippers and, and just being purely stupid, hanging out with Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains, Carrie King from Slayer, and Rob Halford. They took it and they made it into their first, first home video. It's called Cowboys from Hell, the videos. There would follow more, but this was the first. And these are all on YouTube now. And you got to watch them if you're a fan of Pantera or even if you're just curious to see how these dudes were living. I mean, woo! They, They were, I believe, truly, they were the last great rock stars i mean there's there's great bands there's great rock bands there's great metal bands of course but rock stars they i think they were the last ones yeah i mean like uh so yeah they they definitely like 
Like it, the stories you hear about Motley Crue, you probably hear versions of those. Just like, uh, like the same kind of stories about Motley Crue you hear about Pantera, except there's more snake venom in theirs. Well, as you watch the videos, there's a lot of fireworks, a lot of pranks. I mean, these guys, if they were around today, their YouTube channel would be exploding. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, when it comes to the shenanigans they would get up to, wait till we get to the story of the uh, <laughs> the Stanley Cup at Vinnie Paul's house. I can't wait. It's a good one. <laughs> So, I mean, that covers part one. That's that's your introduction. Like, leading up to Cowboys from Hell, this is really... This is kind of like an episode zero, because we, we would make the argument that, just like Pantera, they don't really start until Cowboys from Hell. Yeah, I mean, this this leads you into it. You gotta know the, the origins, man, to appreciate yeah. where they came from. And yeah, and, and like, look... I love Cowboys from Hell. It was the, it was, I mean, I still have all my Pantera CDs from like back in the day. And it was definitely one that I, I listened to constantly. But it's the ones, it's the four after Cowboys where you truly see them develop into a fucking juggernaut that cannot yeah. be stopped. I mean, Cowboys is great, but it's the jumping off point for something that is even more brutal and just violence in inciting it's just it's so good and at the same time real twangy and southern yeah like you can hear you know it's funny it's like it definitely has that southern feel and then you also hear exactly what phil's talking about when he says that dimebag is a metallica guy like there there are songs where you're like that is you know, if if Metallica were better at what they do. Yeah, if Metallica were way better. But, I mean, the Southern influence cannot be denied. I have – I'm going to link uh, probably next episode. There's a cover. <laughs> There's a cover that Vinny and Dime do of a ZZ Top song. Uh, I forget what it's called. And Dime sings it. And it's like, <laughs> but then it, it hits this <laughs> it hits this fucking I hate God, like, sludge southern breakdown it is wild so it's not on spotify i'll link it oh all right i love it but speaking of spotify i did take the liberty of putting together a 30 song pantera playlist which i will (laughs) link in the episode notes now look i pantera's pantera's a big deal they're mainstream so of course if you're into pantera you know all these fucking songs but if you're not i think it's a good place to start because i think i started hard and in the middle we get a nice mellow break in the middle where we get um we get cemetery gates suicide note part one we get floods and then we kick back in with suicide note part two and then it just goes (laughs) it goes all the way to the fucking end where I end it with Walk, their cover of Cat Scratch Fever by The Nuge, and <laughs> Cowboys from Hell. So I will link it. Please check it out. I think it's good. You'll If you've never heard Pantera, it's a great place to start. Yeah. All right. And, and we'll make sure it goes out to our Patreons, too. Yeah. Well, we came in under so, time, man. Yeah, look at that. We did good today. We did good. Whoa. So... So I guess maybe we should shout out the Patreons, yes? Yeah! Emily Lawson, Nancy Crozier, Christian Purley, Mario Cipriano, Jessica Crane, Matthew Fisher, Amelia Andrews, Kate Neal, who is in the state of Florida right now. Um, We're probably going to try to say hi to her. Uh, Laura Crosby, Sam Parnum, and Michael Osborne. Thank you all. Metal horns. Forever. 
you know, especially remind me to do it next time, but we need to dedicate these these episodes to Mike Osborne. Because Mike Osborne, last time I checked, fucking loves Pantera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's and that's why I have a hard time understanding how Mike Osborne exists because he also likes Megadeth. But I mean, Mike Osborne's a metalhead, dude. Like he's a dyed in the wool metalhead. He's I I don't I I'm not a metalhead. I like a lot of metal, but I'm not a metalhead. He's a metalhead. It's a different breed, man. It's a different breed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so. Dude, I can't wait to go through the rest of these episodes. I can't wait to be done tonight because uh, after tonight, I mean, I'm going to be able to post the video like right away, but I can't wait because then I can just kind of work on a manuscript and just listen to fucking vulgar display of power uh, at like 11 at night. I'll never sleep again. (laughs) So, um, all right. Well, if there's nothing else, then you can find us on Instagram at I don't want to hear it podcast or pod. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at IDWHI podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook at I don't want to hear it podcast. Um, you can email us now at IDWHI podcast at gmail.com. That's our new email. We're no longer using the old punks VS the world. Um, so forget that one forever. Uh, we are using this new one. Uh, if you'd like to be a Patreon, we are uploading uh, videos every week for our Patreon. So you get to so with like you're listening to this, um, we are uploading those, and we have not put out March's um, uh, talk among us. So that is coming out a bonus episode. Uh, yeah, we have March's, not decided on a topic yet. March's talk among us will drop. Um, we're gonna drop it. We're gonna say right now the twenty sixth. But um, we may push it to the 31st, but it will be before the end of March. So either the 26th or the 31st, you heard it here first. You'll know. You'll know. <laughs> so if you want to be Patreon, we have these different levels. Uh, and also we added a new level. Um, I haven't told Mikey what it was just yet, um, but we Ooh. have added a level. If you want to advertise, um, it is a $50 a month level. Um, we'll advertise based on you know what we agree to and stuff. And that level, you could be a sellout. <laughs> if Sid Vicious was so punk, I guess I'll start shooting junk. They were on a major label. Ah, oh, I love Bigwig. Yeah, and you know, you know what? Who Bigwig loves? Fucking Pantera and Slayer. So, oh yeah, you can tell. Head over to our website. I don't want to hear a podcast. Click the link. It came from the beach to listen to all our old bands that are. <laughs> fucking nowhere near as good as pantera click the links down (laughs) in the episode listen to the pantera playlist don't fucking listen to us i mean come on come on all right so we are gonna be doing pantera i think probably for the next two episodes that's the only way to get through everything and uh that's gonna do it for this episode we thank you guys for listening we do appreciate it we love to cover bands that we get excited about so bear with us if we're screaming like a couple of little kids about it but uh Mm -hmm. we will be back next week with part two of our pantera deep dive so until then annihilate this week and good night taco bell joe wherever you are I I love Pantera so much and I have such a respect for Taco Bell Joe that I would never show him this band. I would be so afraid of what it would do to him. He would just fucking lose it. He starts swinging corrupt him. 
That's it. Oh, buddy. Da, da, that's, da, 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 da. Oh, buddy. That's the medicine. There we go. Start, <laughs> his arms just start going crazy. Da, 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 da. Talk. Da, 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 da. Oh. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so dumb. What did you say, buddy? <laughs> the walk riff is so ridiculous. This is what it, this is how you know he was just an amazing riff writer. It's just open one, but he does it in such a cool way. <laughs> like nobody thought to do that. You can't make a fucking classic riff out of two notes. Oh yes, you can. In <laughs> notes that are right next to each other. Seriously. And then so, some prick right. shoots you on stage. God damn it. Yeah, fuck that guy. But man, alright. Well, on that note. Bye on, that, on that suicide note, part one. Let's go into part two. <laughs> Alright, bye. bye. <laughs>